Welcome to the Socrates Podcast, an intellectual discussion and analysis of the world's most popular sport. On today's episode, a look back at days one and two of the World Cup, England cruise, U.S. blow a good opportunity to get three points, and more stoppage time than I've ever seen before. All this and more coming up next. Welcome back to the Socrates Podcast, an intellectual discussion and analysis of the world's most popular sport. I'm your host, Jake Marchesani, and the World Cup has started. We are so excited. Uh, There's been a definite great buildup to this tournament. There always is, uh, but this has felt a little bit kind of crammed. You know, there's usually a little bit more time to build up towards it, but because it's a winter World Cup and we had to pause the domestic seasons, it was like we got a barrage of World Cup action and build up, and now we are here. So we're going to take a look at the first two days of the tournament. We had a, one game yesterday and three today. And uh, what we want to do <clears throat> as the World Cup goes on is bring you a short podcast every day, just of the of our recap, of my recap of the World Cup and the games that we saw, uh, just to keep everybody informed, to give you my analysis and thoughts uh, as you are hopefully able to watch some, if not all the games, although that is very challenging. I'm doing my best to do that, to watch as much as I can and give you my feedback and my thoughts so you can be up to speed every day of the World Cup. With that, we jump right into it with the first game yesterday, Qatar versus Ecuador. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of controversy surrounding Qatar this year. Not my favorite host by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but uh, with all that aside, <clears throat> after the ball, after we kicked off yesterday, it felt like the World Cup. You know, it felt like, uh, okay, it's here. We get to watch, we get to enjoy. And, um, and, and, and it was a, a, a very interesting first game. Uh, Ecuador, obviously, the more talented team and just a better team overall. Uh, I was actually very disappointed in Qatar. You know, they have built themselves up to, to, you know, that they've been preparing for this moment for 12 years. They have put a lot of money into, you know, uh, into soccer in their country and uh, they've invested a lot into the national team, into uh, this Aspire Academy that they have. And um, they've brought in, you know, coaches from all over the world. They've trained and they were ready to announce that this is a soccer country. And um, I, I thought that they played pretty poor. At the end of the day, uh, they looked very quickly, they looked out of their depth. And it was not like they were playing Brazil or anything, no discredit to Ecuador. Ecuador are a solid team, and they they showed that they were a level or two above Qatar. And, um, you know, I, I just thought they were poor defensively. They looked very susceptible after turning the ball over. They couldn't really get a, a handle on any possession. They, um, the Ecuadorian team looked much more comfortable with the ball. They were exciting going forward. You know, they had a goal that was fairly controversial uh, that got called off sides. Uh, initially, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't see it. Um, but what happened was the goalie came out from a, 
uh, ball into the box and came out probably a little bit too far and um, challenged for it, missed the ball. The ball got knocked down to a, uh, an Ecuador player. He did kind of a scissor volley and then uh, across the box and Valencia headed the ball in. And it really did look like the first goal. And it got called back for offsides. And my challenge with it was they didn't really show the replay. They didn't show what they were looking for for the offsides. I kind of thought I knew because the goalie came out and uh, ended up, you know, there was a one, there was a defender behind the goalie. So he was not the last man, which is typical of the goalkeeper. He's usually the last man. But he came out ahead of his one of his players, challenged for the ball, and the ball came off an Ecuador's player's head and went to an Ecuador teammate, and that teammate was just offsides. Now, if you understand offsides, sometimes it's a little bit confusing, um, but what, what's easy to forget about offsides is it's not the last man. We, ca- we often say it's the last man because it's usually the last defender. You can't be past the last defender, but we're not including the goalkeeper with that. So the official offside rule is you can't be past the second to last player on the opposing team, right? So most of the time, the goalie is the last player, but in this case, the goalie came out and challenged for the ball, meaning that he was actually one of the defenders in play now, and he had a player who dropped behind him who was the last player, and so one of the Ecuador players was just past where the goalie was, and he was the goalie. I think was the second to last defend uh, player, and uh, and that's where the offsides came from. So it was a little bit confusing. I thought that's what the case was, but I just wanted to see it. They didn't show it for a long time, and um, I, that's what they, I thought. That, I thought they handled that fairly poorly. Uh, didn't seem to affect Ecuador though. They got two more goals, and they really saw the game out. Um, you know, Qatar, they just struggled to get possession. Anytime they started to put two or three passes together, they gave the ball away back to Ecuador. Ecuador seemed very comfortable. They, they really cruised to a two nil win, uh, to open the tournament. So it's great. You know, they said 84% of teams that win the first game, their first game move on to the knockout stages. So that is a huge statistic and it's so important to get off to a good start in the world cup. Honestly, I see Qatar, you know, losing all three of their games because the next game uh, was uh, Netherlands versus Senegal, and those two teams I think will top the group. Uh, so I think they're going to handle Qatar fairly easily, and I, overall I think it's going to be a very disappointing showing for the host nation. Um, you know, I know they they talked it up; they were going to have an Arab, you know, first Arab uh, tournament, um, but. I think they tried to manufacture too much too soon. There's only so much that money can buy. And if you look at the U.S., we really got kick-started in 94, the World Cup back then. And uh, and that's after that, the MLS was formed, and that's where we started. And we're 30 years past that, and we're still catching up. So you can't artificially manufacture progress when it comes to you know your team's um, soccer abilities and your competitiveness on the global scale. And I think that's what Qatar was trying to do. So overall, disappointing opening for Qatar. Solid, solid victory for Ecuador. It was a good game to watch. It felt like the World Cup. So it felt good. It was exciting to get get the tournament started with that game. 
next up was the England-Iran game. And what ended up happening was the original schedule had Netherlands and Senegal as the first game of the tournament, but Qatar wanted to be the first game. So they had the their game moved to Sunday, so they got to be the opening match. And then what happened, they had, there was a little bit of a rearranged schedule. England versus Iran was the next game played. And um, England cruised to a 6-2 victory. And, um, you know, really, they didn't really seem uh, that threatened by Iran. You know, Iran came in playing pretty deep. Uh, uh, They were happy to let England possess the ball, pass the ball. It was clear, you know, and and it gets pretty clear in the World Cup especially because there's a little bit of a bigger disparity between the teams, their abilities, and their talent. And... Um, there's not a lot of time for coaches to build tactics into the the fabric of their team. So there's not as much tactical analysis, I would say. There's not as many sophisticated tactics. And what you end up finding is teams that are you know lower quality do tend to sit back a lot more in the World Cup, whereas pressing is kind of a, a, a hot topic in the club you know game today. And rightfully so, we're not going to see as much of it in the World Cup because teams don't have as much time to work on that, and they're not as good to be able to develop that. That's something that you need to be able to train with every day, all that kind of stuff. So that being said, Iran playing deep, you know, happy to counter. They have you know some talented players, uh, and what what I saw was England really had to be patient. What England was knocking the ball around the back, just kind of you know around the field. So they went from Luke Shaw to Maguire, their center back. You know their left back to center back, then over to their right back, and then maybe into the center mid, then back to a center back, and then back around. So they were just doing kind of a U, uh, kind of a half moon shape, just around the pitch, and they weren't finding that breakthrough ball. So. For you know the first fifteen to twenty minutes, Iran was doing a good job of not letting England penetrate them, uh, but England was also doing a very good job of being patient. You know that's usually the strategy of a lower team is to kind of sit back a little bit, try to frustrate the other team, block off passing lanes, uh, and try to hit you on the counter. It's pretty classic, and we will see teams employ that strategy a lot in the World Cup, but. If the better team can be patient, things do open up. And that's exactly what happened with England. Uh, I have to say, Harry Maguire had a great game. You know, he's been criticized a lot lately. And uh, he uh, he had a great game. He hit the crossbar. He played the penetrating ball that triggered their first goal. So he was able to bypass the midfield and play a nice ball up to the front line. Um, and they, they they turned, they got it out to Luke Shaw on the left, he crossed it in, and Bellingham scored a great goal to get started. And then it kind of unraveled pretty quickly from there for Iran. England started to really dominate. They put themselves on the front foot, and they were uh, they really took control of the game. They cruised to victory. It was nice to see Rashford get in there and get a goal. Uh, Bukayo Saka got two goals. Um, so they spread the wealth. Harry Kane didn't even score. Um, But I think they would be disappointed to concede those two goals towards the end. So they ended up winning 6-2, very comfortable. You know, scoring goals is important in the World Cup because they do take into account goal differential, and England looked very comfortable. Uh, Iran, you know, looked a little bit overrated 
uh, I would say, because, you know, and the FIFA world rankings are not a great gauge to go by, um, but they are ranked, I think, 20th in the FIFA world ranking. So not a great showing for Iran. Uh, England looked very solid. England now plays USA next on Friday, and Iran plays Wales, and those are going to be some real key games moving forward in the group. But England sitting very pretty and in the driver's seat for their group so far. All right, that brings us to the next game on the docket, Netherlands versus Senegal. I thought this was a very intriguing game. I thought it was a really good game to watch. You know, this was two teams that you know, are expected to top the group, even with the really unfortunate injury to Sadio Mane for Senegal. I was really looking forward to seeing him uh, play with Senegal in this World Cup. You know, there's just, you get some really awesome individual performances from guys like that who are the clear leader and best player of their team. Sometimes they carry their team a little bit. And there's always special performances put together. And I, I thought he had potential to do that. And unfortunately, he got injured. He's not able to play in the World Cup. But Senegal still looked really solid. They were not sitting back at all. They were setting up kind of a mid-block um, and uh, letting the Netherlands knock the ball around a little bit in the back. Uh, we also saw a different look on the Netherlands, you know, going with uh, three backs, kind of a 3-5-2 or 5-3-2. Um, if you want to, you know, either way you want to go with it, they had the the wing backs, um, and uh, I thought Senegal uh, played really well. I thought Netherlands looked a little bit slow, a little bit sluggish. You know, one of the challenges for the Netherlands, I think, in this tournament is going to be uh, that they don't really have a striker. Now, they won this game 2-0, which I don't think was fully res- um, reflective of the actual game. It was a much closer game. It was it was 0-0. And Senegal had the better opportunities until Cody Gakpo, who's a really exciting young player, broke the deadlock in the later stages of the game. And then they got a second goal in stoppage time. So 2-0 flatters the Netherlands a little bit. What I liked about Senegal is they didn't sit back. They wanted to play. They wanted to engage the Netherlands. Um, They looked at winning the ball. And, uh, and 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 looked at going and attacking the Netherlands, getting the ball up the pitch, and even getting some possession in the final third. So, you know, they, they were not just trying to counter. They weren't just trying to um, play a long ball. They were actually wanting to play. They were disciplined in the way they set up, which uh, in the past, that's kind of been a knock against um, – uh, African teams is just a little bit of a lack of discipline. So that was, you know, good to see. It was really interesting in possession. They set up, so they had their four, it was really kind of a four, two, four, almost, uh, or kind of a four, three, three kind of went back and forth between those. And, uh, they, they, they had their midfield and their front line way up and they had their, their back four with the ball kind of close to their 18. So there was a lot of space in between the midfield and the defenders, and they would either have uh, one of the one of the center mids check back a little bit to get the ball, or they would play the ball long and look to win the second ball and advance the ball that way. So it wasn't just like 
you know, kick and run or, you know, just dump it forward. It was, it was, you could tell it was more strategic. They, when they played the ball long, they were cool with it and they actually designed it so that they could win the second ball and then build up the pitch from there. So it was really interesting to see which route they took. I thought that they, I thought that Senegal actually dominated the midfield for the most part. Which was surprising because you have Frankie de Jong in the mid, and he did his part. Uh, I did think that him and, and some of the other center mids for the Netherlands held on to the ball a little bit too too long, and Senegal, you know, forced a lot of turnovers, and uh, and they did look dangerous with the ball, and they wanted the ball in attacking areas. So again, it would have been great to see Mane play. Um, Netherlands <clears throat> didn't really create much either until towards the end when they got that. And it was a great ball in by Frankie de Jong and, and a great heading finish from Cody Gakbo. Uh, but I thought Senegal played to their strengths. So the game ended 2-0 Netherlands. Senegal played to their strengths. I thought they were overall a bit quicker to the ball. Netherlands looked slow at times. But, um, man, I thought Senegal could have tried to exploit the space behind the Netherlands wingbacks a little bit better. You know, uh, Daly Blind, who I like, he played at uh, Man U. He's a little slow, and I thought they were, you know, the the Senegal was playing balls up to challenge them, but they weren't trying to play a lot over the top in the back. They did a couple in the second half, and they started to create some space, but I thought that would have been an opportunity to exploit the Netherlands. Uh, I was uh, unimpressed, actually, by the Netherlands. I thought the game was a good game, but the Netherlands showed a lot of flaws, uh, I would say if you're in Group B, which the U.S. and England is, you're you're fine with whoever wins wins the group there because um, I think that you'd be okay to play either one of these teams. But that being said, Ecuador got a 2-0 win. Senegal lost 2-0. So they have work to do when they play their next games. But based on what I saw today, Senegal looked good, and I think that they can progress. But... They have a lot of pressure now. They got to win both of their games, I think, to give them a chance to uh, progress to the next round. And that brings us to the last match of the day and the big one. If you're a USA fan, USA versus Wales. And, um, you know, that was a, a fun one to watch. I mean, I am a USA fan, although they make it hard to be hard to watch sometimes or hard to, you know, be a hardcore fan. I think just with the the way that they seem to get hopes up and then, you know, dash our hopes. Um, maybe a, maybe we're turning into the next England. I don't know. But USA versus Wales, a lot of optimism coming in with the young team, some talented players, a lot of players playing in Europe. And, um, you know, I thought actually a disappointing qualifying campaign. I thought <clears throat> we should be winning our qualifying groups uh, in the CONCACAF. I know it's a hard uh, place to qualify for. But we should still be the number one team. That being said, uh, we you know we have a good team. I was really interested to see this game, and honestly, it went as I expected. So we ended up drawing one one, and uh, you know, really, what I looked at with this game was U.S. is going to have a little bit have more possession. Um, they, they you know Greg Berhalter likes to keep the ball a little bit, but I kind of pictured the U.S. having much more possession, but not very positive 
possession. We weren't. There wasn't going to be a whole lot of stuff that we do with it, which was going to be fine with Wales because they don't necessarily need a lot of possession. They want to win the ball back in the midfield and then spring forward and counterattack. So they're okay to let us have the ball, and I thought that actually plays into uh, Wales' strengths because U.S. are pretty good at just keeping the ball but not really being dangerous with it. And then the whale, uh, the Welsh team can just try to pick the ball off and get get out for their counterattack. However, <clears throat> U.S. did a great job keeping possession in the first half, but also being positive with it. We we created some chances. So um, we you know we got out on the width a little bit, crossed some balls in. That's where we were most dangerous was crossing, which I I love. I don't know why teams don't. It's a lost art, I think, to cross the ball and be dangerous with that. But Created an, a potential own goal with a great save, then another follow-up. Then uh, you know Josh Sargent had a great header that hit the post. And then finally the breakthrough came in the 33rd minute, I believe. And the interesting thing about that was most of the first half was the U.S. kind of playing the ball around, almost to where England was with Iran. They were just kind of playing the ball around, not really making a lot of penetrating passes. But the goal that we scored was when we started deeper and we found our forward, Josh Sargent, a ball into his chest. He brought it down. Christian Pulisic took the ball, ran off of it, played a great through ball to uh, Tim Weah, and uh, he had a great composed finish, and uh, it was really nice. Like It capped off a great first half. U.S. looked really good. I thought... You know, I thought it was kind of playing the way Wales wanted, although they would have been, you know, very disappointed to give up that goal. And now, second half though was a completely different story. And um, and so what 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 we were hoping that wouldn't happen in the second half did. Pretty typical of the U.S. They they sat back a little bit. Landon Donovan actually mentioned it at halftime. He said, "We can't sit back. We got to be brave. We got to go for it." They sat back. Wales dominated more of the ball. They got more possession, and they were starting to create a lot of havoc. And they made a key substitution, I thought. They took out Dan James, who had pace, and they put in Kiefer Moore, who is a huge dude. He plays for Bournemouth, 6'5". He causes a lot of disruption. He can hold the ball up. He did a really good job, and he made it really hard for the U.S. defenders, and I thought that was a really good substitution made at halftime, which, you know, sometimes making the sub at halftime when you're only down 1-0 is is a little bit bold, but it certainly paid off. And, uh, of course, a clear penalty, you know, Gareth Bale with a veteran move to kind of get his body in front of the defender, and, uh, and Tim Ream took him out and <laughs> said no, but sorry, that was, a, that was a clear penalty. And, of course, Gareth Bale put it away. And that's really what, what I thought would happen. Uh, we would tie the game. We would have glimpses of good things, but then ultimately, you know, uh, Wales would come back. I, I predicted we would tie that game, lose to England and have to win and get a miracle to move on, um, for the next round. And so far that's looking like what might happen. So we'll see. I think there's some good, um, positives you can take from it. Um, but what I felt the U.S. really lacked was composure to adjust. So they had an opportunity as Wales was keeping possession a little bit more in the second half. The U.S. was getting counterattack opportunities, and they just looked like they didn't know what to do with it. It was like, oh, we're not. This isn't part of the game plan. And they had opportunities, but they looked very timid. And uh, they they had 
chances to open up. Christian Pulisic had a couple opportunities. They had, you know, a, a 3v3 or a 4v3, and they ended up kind of getting it into the corner, then pulling it back and and settling in and not really creating anything. So they just looked like they weren't able to go off script a little bit from what their game plan was, and that's where I thought U.S. was exposed. We had opportunities to counter. We had opportunities to go get a second goal, um, or even you know go go even if it was you know one one. We still had chances to go up two one and still win the game, but we squandered them and uh, squandered an opportunity. I think to get a good first win. Now it's an uphill battle. I think there's still a good chance that we can go through, but it's going to be, you know, it could come down to goal differential if both us and Wales lose to England and beat Iran. So obviously that's a lot of speculation. A lot of things can happen, but I was a little bit disappointed with the overall showing from the U.S. after some glimpses of some really, you know, good quality um, play in the first half. And so that's where we are. First round, first day in the books for the World Cup. Uh, We got lots more coming, right? We got four games a day for the next two weeks. Really excited about it. We're going to try to bring you a a quick update, a quick, you know, recap of of the games every day so you can stay up to date on the World Cup if you miss any of the games. But guys, remember, thank you for listening and uh, know thy soccer and we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Socrates Podcast. Special thanks to Grid Lab for providing the music and the artwork for today's episode. Socrates Podcast is a production of Ball Watchers FC. Ball Watchers FC.